I suppose when I first began in sociology, one could almost assume that everyone that you met was a Marxist. And of course that was the way most of the departments of sociology were going to be characterised by politicians after some of the events of the late 60s in universities, all those sit-ins, oh it's all the Marxists, it's all the sociologists. I seem to remember at York that they pitched the college which contained the sociologists at the maximum distance from the administrative block. Their idea was that the revolutionary spirit of the sociology students would be dampened by having to walk half a mile across the campus. I don't know whether that was ever proved true or not. But as I say, mostly Marxist. But this didn't mean to say that there was any common ground between these people, because in Freud's wonderful phrase, there was always the narcissism of small differences. The people, you know, who really in many regards meant exactly the same thing by Marxists, nevertheless quibbled over some small point. Was, for example, the Soviet Union an example of a general worker state, or was it an example of state capitalism? You know, that was one of the arguments among the fringe groups of Marxists. But the Marxists, I suppose, I mean, this is a very glib account, and other people would do something rather more subtle, but I seem to remember that the Marxists came under attack from the Parsonians. So Tolkien Parsons, in books like The Social System and The Structure of Social Action, came along with this functional account of how society operated. So rather than having a Marxist, revolutionary, developmental account of how, you know, all we were waiting for was the overthrow of capitalism, the proletariat to rise up and overthrow, uh, 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 overthrow the bourgeoisie and the capitalist state and create their own worker state, rather than having this, the Parsonians came along and marvelled, I think I'm being fair to them, at how well society worked together, how everybody managed and how all little bits of society fulfilled this function and that function and that function. And rather than it being a constant battle between haves and haves not, it was a miracle of coordination and integration. Now, I think Parsons rather appealed because it was pretty difficult to read and there always is in academic circles a sort of slight predilection for adopting people who are difficult to read as your favourite writer because it sort of excludes others. It says, oh, I could understand it perfectly. Were you finding difficult? It's a club which you enter. So there was that sort of Parsonian thing. And then I also remember, I mean, after the Parsonians, of course, there were the ethnomethodologists. Now, if you wanted to talk about, oh, yes, I may as well be rude, but I mean, this was more like a cult than a movement. I mean, the ethnomethodologists didn't even publish books in many cases. They handed round unpublished papers. You know, people would produce a little paper by Sachs which no one else had seen and it would be covertly passed around to other ethnic. You had to be in on it. It was like a priestly cult. You almost had to be indoctrinated. Very much the same applied to an offshoot of ethnic methodology, conversational analysis, where the devotees of this very rarely mixed with other sociologists. They didn't speak about social institutions or historical formations or feudalism or social class, they analysed in extraordinary detail the first two and a half minutes of a telephone conversation. So the ethnomethodologists and the conversational analysts, by not lumping them together, they'd be furious at the idea of being lumped together. This was another trend that came along. I'd say that the other trend which was unfortunate, I think, was that sociology began to lose touch 
with its theoretical foundations. When I first arrived, no one would have thought of having had a sociology degree without a first-year course which introduced people to major sociological theories, to Weber and Durkheim and Marx and Zimmel and Schumpeter and whoever. They do that with the first year. But that began to fall away. I mean, partly, I think, there was a sort of feminist objection to this because these people were always described as the founding fathers. And people began to feel a little bit reluctant about giving, you know, a whole year of lectures on bearded figures from the Victorian era. So certainly satisfaction developed with this way of introducing sociology. And, of course, the arrival of modular, of modules, increased this because with modules, instead of having compulsory courses, lengthy compulsory courses which everyone took, which gave you a foundation in sociology, it became the case that people could go and do a sociology degree and immediately in their first year do a little thing called the sociology of deviance, a little thing called the sociology of religion, a little thing called sub you know, whatever. They could pick and match these small capsules of sociology and never really be confronted with what one could describe as the theoretical, historical edifice of sociology, its founding ideas and how these changed over time. So what I saw was the, in the way, the, the compartmentalization of elements of sociology, and I found this quite disturbing. I mean, one was glad to see sociologists of religion hard at work, glad to see sociologists of deviance hard at work, sociologists of this and that hard at work, but one wanted them to feed back into the general sociological concerns. You wanted to know what these people had to say about, I mean, there were theorists coming along, there were plenty of other people like Bourdieu were saying very, very important things, but there was a little sense that individual sociologists crept away into their small little corners and spent years and years working on that one sub discipline of the major discipline. Now, I think that's possibly being remedied a little bit more recently. And it might be that the crisis, the economic crisis which occurred, in the same way that the economists were lampooned for having nothing to say about it, being unable to predict it, I think that I sense among sociologists a feeling that they too have neglected some of the major dimensions of society while they've been burrowing away at their specialism. Certainly when I went along to the most recent conference of the British Sociological Association and I was looking at the main papers that were being delivered there, they seemed to me to have a somewhat broader sweep, as though sociology was coming back and taking its broader concerns more seriously once again, and that the miniaturization, the subdisciplinary approach, was just waning a little. Thank <music> you.